and uh, we are on to celebrate a very special occasion, a very special anniversary of the 20 years of the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> very cool. I, I, I've got to say, honestly, the latest, uh, the latest entries have been so great for me. You know, I ever since my family died in that horrible car crash accident, having Vin Diesel tell me constantly that we're a family uh, has just really found it's just made it's found me a safe space right, that I really needed. So what about what about Thank the one that's Diesel. just a that's just a superhero movie with interest? So everyone knows that uh, true fans uh, regard that as sort of a sort of a metaverse uh, sort of event. It's not actually canon, but it sort of speaks to the to sort of. It's like Stephen King's universe, where the Dark Tower and it's also in there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I've never watched any of these movies or watch, read any of those books. I'm referencing um, two things that I don't know anything about. So, in in true in, in the reveals of Secret Up, I've seen every Fast and the Furious movie. I won't take any questions at this time or disapproving looks. I just I want you all to know that I have in fact seen all of them. Which Vin is your favorite Diesel? Um, ooh. Well, I think it might be Tokyo Drift because he's only in it for like two minutes, and that is just enough Vin Diesel. That is maximum Vin for my Diesel values. Ludo, I'm sorry we hijacked this joke and just really ran with it. This That's is a good use of our time. Yeah, I am not actually single Fast and the Furious. I'm sorry. Uh, I, no, that's that's good. Once again, this I've never, is like, I've never seen one of these. Uh, I, the only one I watched was Tokyo Drift, which is hilarious from what I understand. <laughs> I have seen all of them. I have seen most of them in theaters. I don't wish to discuss these circumstances, but um, they're terrible. They're just terrible. <laughs> all I know is about the new one is about magnets that like superpower magnets and I only know this because it was a, on a trailer for the Demon Slayer movie when I finally saw it in theaters I mean, wow I that's definitely a trailer I'm, to put I'm, in front of the Demon yeah, Slayer movie lots of market crossover there <laughs> <laughs> you got it who else are you going to market it to and they also just threw in, they threw like a title card that was like another Dragon Ball Z movie. It's got a question mark on the title card, and it's just like we don't know. Maybe Did you would y'all you want that? Maybe. Well, there's always so Dragon well. Ball Two. <laughs> I love the Dragon Ball Two script. Best um, script ever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, my sweet agonies. It's the first anniversary of Crimson Gold agonies. We did it. We made it. It's been some time. Uh, it's hard to believe, but it has been one year. So, like, can we further the promo for this? Just have, like, some other, some uh, more upbeat, excited dialogue, and then just be like, one year later, just the saddest dialogue we can muster. <laughs> year. It's been a year. Oh yeah! Like it's just all of us, just like this is going to be the best podcast ever, and then just smash cut. Just but all of us just sitting next, like over a bar, just like each with like a half empty shot glass in hand, just staring into the middle distance. Uh, no, it's been good. It's been fun. Everything's been fun. It's been fun the whole time. Yeah. So. It's it's your boys and your no more, your no boys. Uh, so 
yeah, it's me, Ludo, it's Sam, it's Brad, and it's editor and friend of the cast, Ren. And Melon, another friend of the cast, maybe joining us later. We'll see. But yeah, one year. So we like to keep a fun sense of a fun sense of mystery here at CGA. We don't know if Melon's coming, we don't know if they're not, but either way, we will be thrilled if they show up, and so will you, listener. Yeah. Uh, it's a surprise for everyone who does not love a surprise on their birthday. Uh, yeah, so I'm kind of starting to lose the plot, uh, and we barely started. But so we're going to be keeping spoilers from the first half of that. We're going to just be chilling out a bit. So if you are not catch up, just hang on now as we just bounce balls we bounce this energy ball around like we are goku uh if you are if you're not caught up on the show just go ahead and pause the episode here and go back and listen to every episode that you haven't listened to in complete succession do not stop for sleep or uh, food is fine because you can do that while listening to podcasts but just listen to the entire thing but not a launchy yeah (laughs) if you had a loud chewer yeah, please don't like nothing that would no celery, no chips, nothing like that. Just like please don't interrupt this beautiful soundscape that 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 Ludo and Bren have worked really hard on, and sort of Brad and I were also there for. Yeah, oatmeal and uh, oatmeal and earbuds. <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah, and then uh, on the later half, favorite and, uh, NPR podcast. Yeah, we're gonna actually go into discussing the questions that y- y'all sent us. And then we can actually get into spoilers mode. So, uh, I think we should maybe do the four pillars of misery uh, to kind of get the feeling of what people been doing. So, yeah, we are kind of we are already kind of talking about it lately uh, before we actually kicked off. So. The pillar of gaming. How has it been tormenting you lately? I, I mean, I, I this is going to be widely disseminated, but uh, I, I work in a gaming adjacent field, so it's it's just constant. Uh, it's ruining my life. I've been playing roguelikes, which are, as we've covered before this podcast, a sign of a deep moral and spiritual sickness on my part. Uh, I've been playing Slay the Spire and and one that isn't showing me to be a disgusting monster. I've been playing a lot of Spyro because I've been replaying the remaster. It's good. Uh, I have uh, sort of been splitting my time uh, between uh, but I've been playing Hitman 3 because I do like games where I can just walk around and find ridiculous ways to do things. That's just sort of my bread and butter. Love that kind of shit. So uh, I've been doing that. I uh, recently picked up uh, The Outer Worlds for the Switch, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's a pretty fun game as it was. The Having the portable angle on it, that's very, that's delightful to me. I've been enjoying that a lot. And then also um, the game that I, uh, just like so, like Brad has roguelikes. I have Sea of Thieves. Uh, is my sort of is my sort of the the dark. That's the that's the dark passenger that I carry inside of me. Is Sea of Thieves. And recently, what they did. Um, I don't for anyone who doesn't follow Sea of Thieves, which you shouldn't. 
um, at E3, they unveiled that they were going to be smashing Pirates of the Caribbean and Sea of Thieves into each other just full force and seeing what happened. And I would love, I'm happy to report that it is, in fact, a terrible addition to the game. Um, no one asked for this, no one wanted this. Uh, and I'm having a great time watching uh, the game that I just watched get better for three years, uh, just sort of explode like a, like a car on fire. Wow. <laughs> I, I was not aware it was so soon that uh, they already did that mistake. Yeah. Oh. They like, they, when they yeah. unveiled it, I think they were just like, it's going to be coming out in six days. And I was like, Oh no. And then it did. And I was like, yep, this is about what I thought was going to happen. Okay. Yeah. Well, at least it's better than WoW, which is slowly spiraling down, down, down. Which is what I've been was playing for a bit. Then I went back to Skyrim because WoW is just oh god, Shadowlands is just so boring. Mm-hmm. So I I don't want to spend too much time, but. I think the vocal minority of WoW that they're listening to apparently has no idea what they're talking about, but that's just my opinion. I am endlessly thankful to this day that I never managed to get into WoW or most MMORPGs. Yeah, it's especially these days. Yeah, I'm yeah. too old for that. Yeah. I I I, I was thinking of just I was thinking of joining um uh, Blanking on their name, Shadow in the West people's group, but I'm like, I do not have time for Mythic. I do not have time for raids. Don't they play WoW Classic? I, I played a little bit of it. It's now in Burning Crusade, which is like, okay, I've done all this before. I've done all this several times. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh... But it's just like nostalgia, and nostalgia doesn't really sell for me that much. Oh, and and the one thing that actually makes me feel super old is that my master's students are all playing WoW Wo Classic, and they are now talking talking about the Burning Crusade as if it is a new thing because they all played after that, and I can just feel the flesh melt from my bones as I hear them talking to oh, each other. That, that hurts. That hurts. I, I started in Burning Crusade. I Ludo heard that conversation and just aged into dust like in the last crusade. Yeah. It's... Ow. You see, uh... These are master students? <laughs> Oof. I mean, yeah. they've been, they gotta be at least mid... Mid-twenties or so? Yeah, 24, 26. Oh, man, I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost 40. See, uh, to, to introduce you all to the paradox, and I don't, and once again, I won't hear any questions about this. Uh, I won't play MMOs because I hate grinding in games. I know that goes completely parallel to what I said earlier about roguelikes, <laughs> and this is why I won't, I will not, I know I'm a paradox. It happens. We are all paradoxes. I hate grinding in games. This turns around and just, now time for another run on Hades. <laughs> Start to another grind. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I, once again, just one more. Yeah, and uh, my curse of gaming, of course, is also the roguelike. So, 
there is this roguelike that I've been waiting for a while that was Griftlands uh, that I was waiting because it's kind of the perfect game to play on the Switch, but turns out that the Switch version is completely broken, so I just got the normal one, and it's really good. It's a very strong roguelike. Uh, the thing is, there is way more story than you, I, I expected. Uh, uh, because, you know, Hads is like one of the few roguelikes that actually has a story that is worth giving a damn. Uh, and no, it actually has a very good story. Uh, the problem is, I turns out that I'm actually good at that game uh, to my de uh, de detractment because the game is supposed to, to try it a lot. Uh, I managed to clear all the storylines in like one or two runs. So the result is that I technically have all the story already, but I did not even unlock uh, one fourth of all the options for the roguelike aspect of it. So I'm like, do I play this again to unlock this stuff? Is it worth it? Is it not? So yeah, it was, it was very good, but I kind of screwed myself over. But it's very interesting because you kind of play with two decks. Uh, you have a deck for diplomacy and a deck for uh, for battle, and you kind of have to balance both aspects, even if you don't. And I think that uh, really, uh, really took an impact on me is how the most important thing, rather than your deck, is the people that like and hate you. And that can really uh, radically change the situation uh, in unexpected ways. And uh, yeah, it really makes you balance how you handle people uh, when you resort to violence, uh, that you play to the different personalities. So that, uh, yeah, and uh, a run could be very different depending on uh, the opinion of people, which is again a thing that I was enjoying, but I screwed myself from enjoying because I only got to play five runs of the game. Reminds me of Onimusha 2, which would change depending on who likes you more. I actually, I, I, that's that, that's dating me. That's dating me right now. That <laughs> came out right about there early 2000s i think i can't remember people are demanding a remake of it it's one of those where you're like well i just revealed they something one. they should do two two is so much better i agree okay. I'm, I'm there with you but yeah and uh, another disease that i have is the rim world type of game so there is this new one that came out going medieval which is basically a 3d uh 3d medieval ring world and it's really good it's really fun uh the thing is there's not much of the game yet so i kind of build an awesome castle and that was it uh but uh, the because again because it's 3d you can play with levels so you can do some pretty cool stuff uh but uh, i kind of put it aside by now because yeah i kind of want to see more things because uh, uh, yeah, there are really not many features now, but it looks really promising and it was very, very fun. Uh, hopefully you can get pets at any time soon so that uh, I can do the, the good stuff on that I do on RimWorld and uh, 
uh, and then Dwarf Fortress and would like to, which I just ignored everyone and I just went to see the pets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that it's weird, and I don't know how long this is going to last. Is I was trying to hold back from buying new games and going through my library, and uh, I kind of, well, I've been wanting to play Pillars of Eternity forever. Uh, I should get to it. So I started a new run of Pillars of Eternity. This has to be like the 12th time I did this. Uh, let's see how long I make this for. <laughs> Everyone has that game. I, I realized as we were as we were uh, talking about it, I actually do. I need to walk back a previous statement about not being not having played roguelikes. There are two that I played on the Switch that I. Uh, the first one is just one I kind of keep going back to, and the other one is uh, one that I just recently discovered. Uh, for the King is the first one. Which I have had some fun with. It's like a, it's kind of like, it's like D and D. It's basically just yeah, D&D. it's a board game. It's an yeah, uh, which is that's cool. a good time. I enjoy that. Um, has the roguelike thing where you just die and then your game's over. So it's that. I did discover one recently though that I've been enjoying. Um, it's called Cultist Simulator. Oh, and you just you just found a cult and try to raise an evil god to destroy the world. And it's, I mean, it is a roguelike. So if you, you know, if you lose the game, your game's over. Uh, but it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. It's on the Switch. Yeah. yeah it's a, I, actually, uh, the, the Switch one, I kind of, the Switch, uh, the Switch one is the biggest reason on why I wish they did refunds because, uh, uh I really don't like how, the way they implemented the game on the Switch. So uh, it's nice that you're enjoying it, Sam, but it's probably the worst version of the game I've seen. Even the iOS one is better. Oh, man, you shouldn't have told me that they have that. I was about to say, thank God I can't play games on the computer. And that was like, I can just settle for the worst version of the thing. Now that I know that the iOS version is out there, I might have to look into that. But I don't I don't know. I already spent the money. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. This is why. Yeah. I also spend the money and uh, Nintendo does not do refund. Uh, that's annoying. Yeah. Good old Nintendo. Good old Mario Nintendo. and all his friends making good business choices. 99 of them are lawyers. Well, the good thing is that the Switch version comes already with all DLCs, so... Yeah. And some of the DLCs are quite fun. I really like the Dancer one. Yeah, but uh, uh, the thing is, you know, once you start to have a lot of clocks, the thing on the Switch becomes a bit too much. It's a lot. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if it's just my switch, but uh, for the king, I really love it. But it kind of it slows down a lot in handheld mode. I don't know why to me. Yeah, I was very confused about that. Like, I heard some games do that. Like, it's, it's really common. Processor. Mm hmm. I so like I haven't I haven't seen that happen in for in for the king, but I definitely uh, like I mentioned earlier, I've been playing Outer War or Outer Worlds on that and enjoying the 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 mobile the mobility of that and being able to play it out you know in the wild. Um, but I have noticed that the graphics just become absolute just garbage doo doo nonsense as soon as I boot that shit up on mobile. It's just like is 
do you want three polygons that are supposed to represent one character? Here you go, champ. Enjoy. And it's like, thanks, Pravati. I'm invested in your storyline. That's PS. That's lower than PS One era. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, three whole polygons. Go back, you know, <laughs> go back a couple decades and flex on everyone. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, it's like it's, it's, you know, just it's, it's how far we've come. I try not to mention you have those powerful computer at that time. <laughs> go all the way back to. DOS era 3D graphics of uh, X Wing. <laughs> oh man, those were some days. Yeah, those were days. They were there. Uh, so, how has been the other pillar, the pillar of uh, anime? Uh, so, the anime I've been catch. Do you have something? Can I go can for I, it? I was asking, can I go first? Yes. I have never watched an anime. Uh, you will find that you are wrong because I was going to say the anime that I've been watching has been uh, I Think You Should Live because it turns out I never watched it and it's a crime. And uh, I'm going to have to make a confession. Uh, that meme about the hot dog guy. I could swear my brain tricked me that it was from an episode of Always Sunny. Uh, some part of my brain has to say that that came from that. Uh, and I'm correcting that by watching the I Think You Should Leave Anime. Well, to, in your defense, a lot of stuff came, a lot of memes came from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Like, <laughs> that's what the show exists for. It's just to generate shit posts. If you, three, if you see some scrunchy looking dudes, like, well, it might well. be its own sonny. <laughs> uh, I mean, anything with just sort of feral goblin energy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's just sort of the most recent anime I've watched that's. I don't know. I finished Demon Slayer earlier last month, which was super good. Um, the movie is streamable now. Ooh, don't tell me that. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert, it's real good. No. Damn it, I was going to watch this later. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, that's it recently. I've been pretty free of, of the anime curse. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched Roadhouse either. Oh, you know that comics and manga are also anime. Well, basically everything is anime. Okay. If comics count, um, I have a problem. I recently inhaled. I reread Jack of Fables. And I mean, otherwise, comics are great. I love comics. I hate them. They're dumb. Don't read comic books. Uh, Immortal Hulk is super good. That's the other big one I've been reading a lot of. I also have I'm not I don't I don't I don't read comic books. Well, that's that. I, this is this is the this is the this is the nerd cultural blind spot for me. I don't consume media. I was just like I just I, I like looked over there and I was just like I don't think I can I don't think I can do that one and I just sort of then looked away and just carried on forward with my life. Uh, although I will say this, Ludo, when you said everything is anime or. or I don't remember what the specific wording was, but all I could think about was just walking into a lecture hall at a college and slamming down 
just a giant book and just being like the Commedia dell'arte is just anime and I won't it's like for the next hour and a half I will be just explaining that this is just anime well the Commedia dell'arte is just anime I'm sorry oh, I know it's like, it's like I can I can I can say it as a funny joke and know that it's the truth in the same way that I uh, I get uh, Shakespeare nerds angry by saying that all Shakespeare is War of the Roses fan fiction and all media since then is Shakespeare fan fiction therefore by the transitive property all media is War of the Roses fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, including Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> exactly. Especially that. Exactly. Especially yu <laughs> And, I, and I, I put that on my Facebook wall at some point like a year ago. And one of my English, like, one of my friends who actually has like a master's in English, he was just like, I'm sorry, what? And I was like, I said what I said. Yeah. I have basically been keeping old anime on on my television as I edit as kind of like I have attention problems, and if there's not something that I can dual attention or something that in the background that I can ignore, I have trouble focusing on like anything. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem that nobody else here has. I have been uh, in, in expanding my Rumiko Takahashi collection. I, if you don't know, she's the one that did Ranma, Inuyasha. Uh, so I've been having usually Inuyasha on in the background. Now it's Ranma because I have Ranma, Ranma. Can't pronounce that name right. Because uh, I have all the Blu-rays now, and they're just slowly releasing Inuyasha, which surprisingly, despite being out for over God, twenty years, I think now is now just getting Blu-ray releases. Yeah, that's, that's, weird. that's interesting because that's not exactly a technology that I think people are sort of eager to. We really got it's time to start sinking money into Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and it's something that uh, yeah, people are gonna buy if you make this. This is like sure. So yeah. Well, uh, I also could complain because DS9 is not on Blu-ray either, which is sad. But yeah, it, it, you're absolutely right. Uh, Blu-ray is kind of a money sink, and it's just like streaming's right there. Yeah, and it, yeah, I, I was, I was. But I'm a, I'm a millennial. I like to own things. <laughs> <laughs> I like to not worry about watching something in the middle and then suddenly mm-hmm. the streaming service decides, ah, uh, that's not doing so well. So we're kicking it. Mm-hmm. Turns out these other streaming services licensing these. No, it's not even licensed on your country. No, we are not even putting you there. Yeah. That's, that's another problem. Like we've determined there's no market for this in your country. Yeah. Yeah. Or we can't get the rights to it in your country. Like it's yeah. Anime people complain about that and they wonder why piracy is so rampant in the anime manga community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so weird. It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on comics, I I finished reading uh, Kaiju number eight, uh, which, you know, it really, you know, it really hits me about being about uh, uh, a protagonist on its mid mid thirties, trying to find a new profession and having to compare himself with younger people and having to push his bodies on twisting ways that made him question his humanity. Uh, uh, it kind of echoes a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, it was really, really fun. That is, hmm. that is way too relatable. It's scary. I might have to ask. My, I'm, 
It's scary. Uh, yeah, and it's really good. Yeah, and it was a short read, so it was fast to to catch. And I kind of started reading uh, uh, the. Uh, no, actually, I also read The Witch Hat Atelier, which is just gorgeous. Uh, it's probably one of the most well-drawn comics that I've seen in a while. Uh, but that is also super short, so that also went fast. Uh, and what I kind of, I'm starting kind of low-key just uh, because I love it so much that I don't, that I kind of wanted to read it to, uh, Mob Psycho 100, because I really love that, uh, that anime. And, uh, like, yeah, this is worth experience again, also in another media. It's, it's really good. Uh, Mob Psycho is really good. Uh, secret confession time. I never watched it or consumed it as a, as a manga. Yeah, it's so basically what it's about. It's about a middle schooler with middle school issues who also has incredible super psychic powers that could uh, one of the scenes he destroys and rebuilds a school. That sounds pretty good. And another scene he's yeah. And in another scene, he's desperately trying to catch up with uh, the body improvement club who are amazing. Like, it's like, how do you get all these good role models with these uh, stereotypes? All these absolute himbos. Yeah, himbos. Totally. It's really good because, again, it, uh, it has all the uh, mob has all the powers. But uh, mob, uh, mob Psycho is actually about becoming a better person and uh, the powers don't help anything. So, and that's, yeah. And that's the thing that's, it's kind of, it's very similar with, uh, one punch man, but while one strange man is more joke, a Bob psycho is more hard and is a lot more sincere. So, but they, they kind of have the same energy. Yeah, same author. Um, yeah, One Punch was kind of his joke kind of manga that he did on the side until uh, Murata picked it up and started doing art for it and re and like they like okay, well let's I'm, I'm just gonna start fixing things that I didn't like what I did with the original. So yeah, but Mob Psycho is his own work and uh, it was his main work and it's really underrated I think uh, just because his art style. I will give him one thing: he can panel like there's no tomorrow. He can frame a scene drawing it on the other hand he's not the best at so it's very kind of childlike drawing but it's like if i were to give this guy cinema like he would have done amazing as a cinematographer i think just the way he kind of like frames the shadow and the what he can do this the paneling which i think is a very underrated thing that is in comics because you think like oh i'll just slap the person on the screen they're talking punches corner to that sorry i i i I used to be big into comics, like studying it for a while. So yeah, yeah, and uh, and it's a thing with Tadashi. I mean, uh, the man can absolutely draw anything and uh, draws these amazing poses and whatnot. But you try to follow a fight uh, uh, on JoJo, you just go, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> posing. <laughs> yeah, I guess things are happening. Jojo to me, like I couldn't get into it, but I might try it again. Um, Jojo to me was just like a bunch of flamboyant men posing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's accurate. Uh, you're yeah. not wrong. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> it's the perfect time. 
don't see the problem. Yeah, it's yeah. Perfect. it's just perfect, just good. Yeah, it just works. I don't know. It's good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> vampires, psychic powers, stands. I, I, I like what? It just, oh, it just happens. It just happens. Just, just, just go with it. Yeah. One of the greatest achievements that I've seen a human being accomplish so far was I was on TikTok the other day and I saw a man uh, with a saxophone uh, do the Dio pose while he hit the saxophone solo in the Dio theme song, um, <laughs> uh, which he then put down in the comments. He's like, I really don't recommend doing this. I think I almost killed myself. <laughs> he just went so deep into that pose that he was holding a saxophone. And yeah, I, was I think just, I, mean, I almost like, spit I the lung. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, I don't know how you could even physically just sort of create that energy. Uh, and yeah, that's why I, I'm firmly convinced the human being uh, has nowhere else to go. That's it. That was the pinnacle. We, we can't get further than that. So, yeah, I mean, watermark. yeah, then that's a good segue into the other pillar of posting. Uh, so how has been posting? Uh, not to date anything, but uh McAfee was being uninstalled, and that's a very strong posting energy going on. <laughs> oh, oof! I mean, it's posting. It's the it's the worst pillar. It's no. There's the other pillar that is even worse. Uh, I, I, are we talking I, like? Are we talking like shit posting here? I'm, I'm, ah, yeah. social media. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> John Bayoga either walked out or was, I don't know, Netflix movie, John Bayoga drama. That's all I know is going on right now. Uh, the son of Gary Gigax is making his own, he's oh, trying God. to resurrect TSR and for all the bigots, you know, oh, we, we are a company which uh, we are beyond. We need to provide a special safe space for the bigotry. We have to make sure that the bad people can have a place where they can hang out and be bad. I thought I thought reanimated corpses was frowned upon in D and D. You know, well, you well, but that's, yeah, but that's the thing. They don't even have D and D. You know, the hours the hours are in TSR, but they don't have anything of this TSR. This is my new game. They don't even have underground and blackness. <laughs> also, also, uh, they are banking way too much that people actually gave a fuck with this TCR. When TCR died, everyone has happy that they died. Like they spent every goodwill. And there's not a single gamer of the, that was alive at the time that that uh, did not cheer they, them dying. Like, come on. I I wasn't. RPGing back then, but it's like I was early on because I was trying to get into the OSR kind of mess. I was looking at like the old uh, books that the Forgotten Text. Wizards re-released, and it's like, what is this mess? <laughs> oh God, Thacko is worse than what everybody has described to me. Tell me I... about Thacko in intricate detail. Okay, <laughs> go into oh, an extent. Well. No, step don't. One, absolutely no. not. Step one. Take right off the start car, stopping. <laughs> um, step two. Forget everything you know about how maths should work. Step three. One of my favorite adventures is a classic D&D adventure. Keep on the Borderlands. And every time I look at the original text for five minutes, I'm like, are these actually 
actual words on the page or am I dumb? Yep, there it is. Yep. I I have the re-release that good so games good. did of that uh, over there. I've been, I'm big DCC fan. I like that kind of OSR. Which is like, hey, let's remake this game with the knowledge we have now and see what we can do. What if we yeah. took this old pile of barely working thing and made it work versus eh, we'll just slap some stuff on it and push it out the door. Like, I love that. That What if we just turned this and made it good? That relaunched Adventure 4 Keep on the Borderlands is so good. What if things did not suck? Uh, is that 4? Yeah, they were releasing... I don't know. I haven't been keeping super in touch with most, like, social media stuff at this point, and all of my personal all of my personal involvement on social media is constantly just uh me saying dumb things to anyone who will listen um <laughs> that's just kind of how i roll same well we are we are not very good at social media in case our poor marketing is not revealed Hi, Katie. <laughs> Katie. Bye. uh cats 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 I think my latest shit post was me complaining that we'll never get a complete Yurisai Atsura Blu-ray set because one episode. So the episode basically involves the two main characters trying to sleep together. That's the joke. Except one of the characters mind breaks and goes through the entire Return of the Jedi in like a minute. And that's the reason we will never get a complete set because of the Return of the Jedi and Disney will sue the crap out of whoever tries to produce that or re-release it. My latest shit post on Maine was uh, quoting my buddy and uh, he said, if you didn't pee, then you have nothing to hide. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's that's my recent masterpiece. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just going to just real quick take a look at the last idiot shit that I put on the internet, which I'm sure. Whoa, uh, I did the mistake of checking Twitter and it turns out to get the, the new TSR is trying to back away from the statements and trying to pretend that, uh, oh, we are intolerant of all forms of hatred. And no, bitch, we saw it. <laughs> we don't forget. Oh wow! Um, uh, I, I take it back. I did actually. the the dumb the, the dumb the dumb shit that I posted recently uh, was one star Google reviews about the Epic of Gilgamesh are the funniest thing in existence. I will not be taking <laughs> questions. <laughs> they are because they exist and they're incredible. No. Oh my god! I might actually. Have it's the oldest piece of human literature. It's some random fucking just, just like some ham and egger was just like, I have a thought about this derivative. One star. <laughs> I would give it. I would give it zero stars if I could. The tablets are too heavy to carry. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, man. <laughs> I'm still yeah, my, just thrilled uh, that that exists and that it happened. Yeah, it's, it's just it's so uh, good. It's a good thing. Yeah, this is actually a thing that I was doing for a while. Was going to book read uh, the, the book reader, whatever the site the site is. Goodreads. Yeah, uh, and going to old classics to see the three stars and lowers. 
reviews and they are just perfect. They are just perfect. It's such smooth brains there. Uh, my last shit post was actually complaining about uh, uh, the wild thing that they are doing on the on the genetic set for magic, which is also going to be the D&D set for some reason. I I just found out about that. Yeah, the I, dungeons seemed like the worst thing ever. And like I, and my shit post it was like, well, good to show that you don't understand magic and you don't understand dungeons and dragons. You don't understand the appeal of either. That's a good way to show it. I, you own both. How do you not know this? It's like I, I just found out like from my game store because we were talking about this. The Dungeons and Dragons uh, settings are like the lowest selling of the settings for for Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, yeah, uh, now they think they can somehow catch lightning in a bottle by capturing the feel of Dungeons and Dragons in magic. And I like. Well, yeah, it was called Zanzikar, so we already know that they did it better. So they, so you know, when they had people that were familiar with Dungeons and Dragons trying to do it. <laughs> They nailed it. Now that they are doing it intentionally, yeah, it's no. And uh, and again, uh, because like the thing, the only reason why the settings in Magic work is because of who the players are. Because you know you can tolerate a lot of shit when you are uh, you know a uh, uh, world trotting wizard god. But you know no, they are extremely fine. You know to play Bob the Fighter level one. Say, so, uh, I don't know. Well, I, I would still say my favorite card has always been and will ever be Raging Goblin. But yeah, just a little guy. Yeah, first first turn, start dinking him or whoever you're playing. I, all I, I love goblins. Yeah. I play too much magic. I, I quit. I was smart. Yeah. Uh, I have a very bad disease with magic. You know when you are good at something, but because you are good at it, you kind of feel obligated to keep trying it. Because you're good at it. And also it invalidates any chance of taking it easy. That's me with magic. I'm too good at magic to not take it serious. You know, I cannot just chill out and uh, I go off. It's always I'm kind of wasting it because I am better than this. Why am I not investing more into this? So that always ruins me with magic. No, sunk cost fallacy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I see. I I exist on the other end of that of that sunk cost fallacy, where I have friends who were into magic, and I have like friends who have gotten just like super into it. They're very good at it. They really like the deck building stuff. The idea of it appeals to me, and I treat it the exact same way that I treat the practice of gambling. Yeah, I'm just like I'm not gonna do that because I know this goes one way for me, and it's just that's my life now. And I'm just like, no, uh, uh-uh. I already have stuff. I played tabletop RPGs, and I'm just like I have a life outside of that that is involved and requires my time. I can't do more things. Yeah, this was like one of my first groups that I was in tabletop RPGs with. Also played Magic, so we would always play Magic before we start playing D and D. 
and then after we would play more magic. So I can see the like the mesh there, but it's two different mentalities. It's so different. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why we're all, of course, extremely excited for the new Dungeons and Dragons setting that they're releasing out from Magic the Gathering. The one with the owl people. You know the one. Strixhaven. No, 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 that. Oh, Strixhaven's coming out. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. No, it already came out. It's the fucking Hogwarts. Did it? Well, but oh, the, no. the well, D&D the book set came out. The oh, D&D, the D&D. D&D I thought the D&D book already came out. No, no we just got an Earth Darkana teasing how uh, the college is going to work. Oh, God. Actually, sure, I will be first one in line for that. Yeah. Hold on. It's it's actually a, a gaming it's a game design choice I like and I wish that Wizards had been bold enough to implement earlier. They are not mapped to specific subclass specific classes. Instead, it's like, hey, these four su- these four classes could take any of these options. I do like that. I did. I think we did discuss this on off air uh, at one point. I do actually find that pretty compelling. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I wish they would have done it from the beginning, but I like it. I'm I'm just like, no, that's fair. I respect that point. <laughs> so I, I, I did pick up the Van Richten's guide, and that's like the last thing I picked up. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I got it. Such such a disappointment. I haven't really? even picked it up. I, it's I really bad. There are there are some things about it that I like, as far as like the prompt based stuff. Most of the yeah, the tables. It's the best thing of the date is the tables. <laughs> yeah, all of that is great. The settings themselves, uh, I could That's what you get. That's what you get. Absolutely not be bothered to give half a shit about. Just not at all. They're just they're just there they are. And I will yeah. sort of flip past them and look at the spooky pictures and just kinda keep going. I mean, we discussed this off air, the fact that like when they announced like, yeah, we're trying to get away from like just having goofy universal monster settings in D and D for Von Richten's like, but that's what I want. I, I I I want that a little bit. Like play the goofy monsters like cool. You want me to remake the mummy with some D and D characters? Yeah, I'm there. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Let's go. <laughs> like that's a big miss for the audience. Like I don't want like realist like horror and D&D's weird enough to begin with just yeah and this is but this is coming from somebody who plays a lot of dcc which does that it just has mm-hmm. random like mm-hmm. okay this is how you make a monster this is you should make the monster unique and uh, it's like then dnd goes like oh here's a bunch of goblins a bunch of kobolds oh look a dragon it's got what seven heads or five heads whatever a number of them look how many hp you have you're going to be on this fight forever and that means it's good <laughs> oh god oh god i i will complain about that that most that all D podcasts and streams the worst part about it is the combat yeah this is my my favorite uh D uh, podcast is uh uh dice Fang because of the sheer contempt dice Fang is great yeah because of the sheer contempt that they have for the game so it's like whenever it comes to actually play the game, it's like so. I, uh, them annoying at Austin because uh, because he actually makes them <laughs> play the game that they are there allegedly to play. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I just got because uh, I had the t- uh, 
I caught up with it in the season where they were playing the capitalist game. Oh, that is so good! That is so. Oh, but it was so relatable. I had to stop. I just like oh. I had to slow down on it. It's like, oh god, this is way too relatable. I can't take it because I was working shit jobs and yeah, horrible. Just being. The- but that is like the season in which they became really extraordinarily good. Starting on that season, yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. Like the next season, and I'm on the next season now, but it's the next season is brilliant. Yeah, it so far really is. Yeah, it's basically a what if Mass Effect was not the imperialist militarist bullshit that it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but Dice Funk is great. Go listen to Dice Funk. Yeah, that song is really good. Uh, so, how about the fourth pillar? The actual worst pillar. Oh, God. Gog life. No. <laughs> Not jobs. <laughs> Not <Wait> jobs. <laughs> jobs is the jobs. fourth pillar of misery. <laughs> like the... Like the real jobs that I really have out in, out in the world. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, things in which you have to exchange your labor for the means of survival. Oh boy, finally, my time to shine. <laughs> uh, I work in a restaurant. Uh, anyone who has listened to this podcast has probably heard me say that at some point. It's a thing. Um, I have realized that I can do anything I want at this job. Um <laughs> And have just embraced uh, just every just sort of scrap of chaos that I can just sort of hurl into this building and see what happens. So what I've been doing lately is just uh, the office is a very small space in this restaurant. And it's where we all stash all of our various beverages and, you know, the things that we need to keep out of the sight of the of the of the common folk. And uh, what I've been doing is turning the computer in the office onto various uh 10 hour YouTube videos uh, of just sort of a wide, just sort of a wide spectrum of chaos energy. Uh, so one night it was just, uh, it was just Scatman for 10 hours. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was Scatman for 10 hours. And it also happened to be the anniversary of Ronald Reagan's death uh, in 2004. So I went onto the computer and printed out a sign that said, happy Ronald Reagan is dead day. And I taped it to the monitor. Um, and then on top of that, I also hung up uh, Christmas ornaments around the sign. Um, and then other nights, you know, sometimes I just play 10 hours of Christmas jazz in June. Um, just, you know, just words. There's no, there's no fixed sort of, uh, sort of mantra there. I did actually do crab rave one night for 10 hours. Not going to lie. Crab rave for 10 hours has a great energy. Everybody was really into it. They really enjoyed the crab race. Like you walk into, you walk out of the, out of the restaurant area and into sort of just the quieter area and you got crab rave going on. Everybody was just like, you know what? This is not a bad day. Yeah. Crab rave's good. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, one time I just turned on a 10 hour, uh, just like nature cam and just put up a sticky note on the monitor that just says, sometimes it's just nice to relax. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Just other than that, uh, it's definitely selling labor. That's when I'm not doing shit like that. That's pretty much what's happening. Yeah, I uh, I mentioned before I work for an entertaining for a gaming adjacent company. Uh, without playing my hand too heavily, the one with all the stock manipulation—that's the one I work for. Um, 
Oh yeah, EB yeah, Games that really narrows it down. <laughs> yeah, AMC <laughs> Games. Yes. Yeah, the Trade Stop. Uh, and I mean, off camera, my my work's become a saga where the machine just wants my sweet sweet blood. Uh, we've had a manager shuffle wherein in three weeks I will be on my fourth manager. But for those of, for for the other two of you who've heard me complain about this before, it's not the guy who said he was going to come in and fire the whole team. He quit, so it's someone who I actually know who's really cool coming in to be my new boss for the brief time I remain yeah. there. Oh yeah, I've heard so many horror stories. Like I'm like I can't believe I wanted to work for this company at once. Like oh, video games are cool. No, <laughs> video games are cool. Yeah, when I was like 16, it was a very attractive proposition. And then uh, I had friends who worked there when I was like 17 and they were like, don't. And I was like, all right, I'm going to not. Thank you for telling me. And just kind of. And then, of course, life advice. Here's some life advice for all you young kids listening to this. Never work at some place you enjoy hanging out or going to. Never work there. It will just. Destroy everything. Yeah, don't like. I also want to extend that actually to uh, if you are if you are one of the youth and you're getting into the working world and you're like, oh, restaurants seem like a good gig. <laughs> they, sometimes, sometimes they are. Don't work at the ones you like the most. Um, <laughs> you'll ruin them for yourself. It's like I, it's like I keep making the mistake of being like this restaurant kicks ass to eat at. I bet it's good to work at. No, no. it's not. It's not. Also, also, don't work on restaurants during a pandemic. You die. You die. You're gonna die. Yeah, we are. Uh, we are. We are completely. Uh, we're completely masked off in this establishment now. It's it's all real weird. We're we're working towards that at uh, the old at the old trade stop. And uh, I mean, I always joke that our CEO would feed us face first into a wood chipper to please the shareholders, but I uh, shouldn't have said that out loud because. The, it was reported to him, and he nodded deeply and said, "Let us Come do on, that." Um, How can I, I buy a game if I cannot leak it first? You know what? I, That's fair. I, I've just been openly sort of wearing um, increasingly anti-capitalist uh, tank tops uh, to work. Um, got a funnel with a Molotov cocktail on it. Says a toast to the rich. Uh, I've got an upside down smiley face that's surrounded by the words billionaire should not exist. You know, all that good stuff. I've just been walking around at work in those uh, just seeing I did have an old man who he, you know, I wear like a jacket over the tank top. So I'm not just sort of guns out because that would be a little bit uh, inappropriate uh-huh. for a restaurant setting. And uh, I did wear the the toast of the rich one in uh, on the night of a local university, a, a very esteemed private local university's graduation. This old man handed me his phone to take a picture of his grad and, and the family. And he's like, and he's like, Oh, what's your shirt say? And I showed him, he's like, Oh, thank you so much for that. And I was like, Hey, Hey bud, you are sort of dragging yourself there a little bit. Aren't you? You're sort of just like, just like, it's me. I'm the rich. It's like, cool. Good to know that you're here. <laughs> Good for you to know that I don't like you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give you 10 seconds of running at the head. (laughs) Yeah, what a fun dynamic you and I have created. My private island. (laughs) (laughs) Where we're going to have the most dangerous game. (laughs) Just just Google the phrase, how to hide guns inside your body. (laughs) Carefully. Who's playing the game now? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you know, now that they cannot go to Little, uh, Little St. James, they have to go somewhere else. Oof. Oof. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, it's it's a weird job working with the general public, uh, especially at a, at a company like mine. But I get lots of goofy stories to tell. <laughs> it do be like that. Yeah, I've been laid off for a few months, and I've just been waiting for the pandemic to quiet down. Of course, it hasn't, but that doesn't stop them from forcing you to make the three to start doing the impo- the three job things that they require you to do starting in two weeks. Which is like, oh great, I'm gonna actually have to put effort into this now. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a uh, early in early in our time uh, with the podcast. That was uh, sort of a reality of my of my every week was just doing that, uh, which was a fun time uh, because I would just um, at Tennessee um, waived some of that. They didn't make me do all of that, which was great. I loved that for 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 them doing that. Yeah, there was definitely some points where I had to just apply for jobs that I was in no way qualified for. And it's just like auto mechanic. And it's like, do you have any experience? No, never seen. I've never seen the inside of a car. What's a car? I don't even own a vehicle. Auto mechanic. I take it to the. I take it to the Jiffy Lube. Like I'm not working on my car. <laughs> no, if I, I worry that if I open the hood to my car, something will explode. <laughs> It'll just just because I even had the audacity to do that. It's just. But yeah, I get to start doing that on July Fourth. Is happy birthday, America. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> Celebrate your country by blowing up a tiny part of it. Mm-hmm. Scaring the crap <laughs> out of your veterans and animals. Yep. <sighs> Celebrate your country's birthday by antagonizing those who were forced to fight overseas for it. Yeah. yeah. America. My my area is banned fireworks, but that like that stops anybody in the first place. Yeah, that does not do anything. That doesn't do anything. I'm from. Listen, fireworks are illegal in the entire state of Florida, and I don't need to say anything else. That's the whole. That's the whole joke. Mm-hmm. That's just post. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, there was yeah. speaking of work. There's this great like this is show uh, on my on Twitter. Basically, some kids in Minnesota decided to light a fireworks display on fire. And of course, the staff reacted just the way you think they would with absolutely no reaction. Like their soul has been sucked from their body. Just like, great, I'm going to have to clean this up once they're all done. Once the fire department's done. Yep. Sweet. The the boss is going to call and ask what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've worked in area like I, I've worked with companies that have had burn boxes or not burn box, uh, basically chemical rooms. That's the word, chemical rooms. Which is like, yeah, this stuff. If you, you know, if you mix this stuff, it'll explode. So don't put this in this bin ever. And then every couple weeks, you walk in, you see one in the bin, and you're like, thanks. <laughs> uh, I I did. I never really had to deal with that, but I'm sure that was a thing. But it, it it didn't really happen at that one job that had a big chemical room because I was working for an aerospace uh, firm that works with the big aerospace company that we all know that all know and love in Washington State. Oh, okay. So yeah, uh, so we had some heavy duty stuff. <laughs> like I swear the chem- the cleaning because the guys because you have to clean all the parts before you send them off. So every part on that airplane from the smallest nut to the the straps all had to get cleaned. And those guys were just always joking around. I swear they were high all the time. They probably were. 
problems. <laughs> Good to know that all of those planes were made by people who were completely in their right mind and capable of making perfectly sound decisions. Well, they, 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 yeah, yeah, it's like I will trust an airplane because I know those people did it right because there's so many checks and balances. Sure. Except when, except when they don't. Except for that one time they don't and the plane explodes. Which is like, yeah. It's not that often. It's not that often. It's not. It's the safest form of travel. Except when it's not. <laughs> you all come crashing it's, down. It's the safest form of travel except for when one plane does explode and then it's the least safe form of existing yeah. for a very short period of time. I mean... They fly in the wrong area and get shot down. Worst thing a pilot can come over the intercom during the flight and say to you, well, folks, I know all of your pictures are going to be on the news. <laughs> yeah, that's happening a lot. I said that to uh, my partner as soon as the play, as soon as the pilot came, I was like, okay, we've reached cruising altitude. I am a nervous joker. I looked at her and said that. And she was like, I will leave you. I will. This will be it. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. That still does not justify white people clapping when the plane lands. Facts. Oh God. People know that. Yeah. White Just, people do that. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't fly enough. I don't it's fly. It's a thing. Not. I, I mean, they. They do. I. 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 I'll believe you. I will say this honestly. The last time that I flew uh, was I was flying back from Florida in January, and it was very funny to me because uh, I was flying on Spirit Airlines, uh, which is one of the more affordable airlines in the in the United States of America. And what I loved about that is some people started to clap when the plane lands and then just everyone else just immediately is shooting them the dirtiest looks possible. So they get to like, (laughs) never mind. I'm just like, yes, good. You quiet down. Wow. Yeah. My cog life is I finally got done with this four year long paper on uh, membrane tethering and remodeling that we know we can actually show on a living animal. None of this bullshit that people have. We actually managed to get that kind of going on. Now we are kind of waiting for the people that, uh, you know, they are established on the science that they're going to say, I'm sorry, but uh, I have these millionaire projects that depend on this not being true. So you better not publish this. So yeah, waiting on that nice part. Yeah. And uh, I just had to replace an equipment part that is more expensive than two years of my salary. And uh, yeah, that has been very fun. And uh, yeah, and other than that, it's going back to actually doing experimental work after spending so much time on the writing minds, which involves way more looking at worms' dicks than what we'd expect from a scientist. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, most of my days it's it's working. Well, yeah, it's uh, looking at worms' penis. Yeah, it's I'm not gonna lie. If out of all of the various professions that I can think of, that does seem most suited for scientists. <laughs> like I can't think of any any other profession that would be better suited. It's my, if people started doing that at my job, <laughs> um, everyone would be, I think, just the most concerned they possibly could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 
That has been like it. It's uh, sorting mails and screaming at mails. That has been my day. Well, also me on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, uh, I guess we. I guess we are one hour in. I think we should get into the, the yeah. pod business. <gasps> yeah. Not the pods that we cast. Not the pods that we have the cast. Alea Podext. Uh, so I yeah, those that, pods already, and I thought I was done with them. <laughs> well, too bad. The pod, uh, It's like a boomerang. It always comes back. Uh, so yeah, uh, so this is going to be your warning for spoilers. So we're going to actually get into the stuff. So before we go into the question, so um, what is your overview of one year of CGA? <laughs> Finger guns. What an accurate overview. Um, I mean, so we're in the spoiler territory, so we can we can crack some wises. Uh, I mean, beyond the fact that Hirosaka was a lunch, um, we did cover it, that. Hirosaka was one hundred percent lunch. That's yeah, it's yeah. very important. It's maybe delicious, the biggest. balanced, perfectly balanced. As all things should be as all, as all lunch should be. Um. I loved it. I mean, a year past of casting pods. I considering and I've I've mentioned this in some other off camera stuff and some on camera stuff, I think, too, that like I I applied to be on this podcast as a lark being like, oh, you know, let's see how this goes. And here we are a year later. And like, that's a weird that's weird. That's a different uh, turn. <laughs> yeah, that was basically exactly what happened for me. Like I, I applied to be on this show just being like, I've wanted to do podcast for a little while. And then I got a response and I was just like, Oh no. Yeah. Um, and it has just been just an absolute, just an absolute delight. Could not have been more pleased and surprised by how, how just fun and great the whole thing was the whole Hirosaka uh, arc was hands down one of the most satisfying uh, things that I think I've done either creatively or in, in just tabletop gamings in general. Um, yeah, it was, it's, it's been a blast. And then of course, like, you know, should I talk about the things that we've been, the dark machinations we've been doing uh, behind the scenes or are we not there yet? Are we going to save that for the end? Uh, as long as you don't announce uh, what we decided for second season. To okay, the I won't announce that. Uh, we have been we have been playing some other things, testing some stuff out, uh, sort of uh, testing the waters for uh, our next project. And uh, that has also been a good time. I will say that for some of these recordings, I arrived, I would say, um, not in a uh, the most complete headspace that I could have and was just sort of flying by the seat of my pants. But even that was pretty fun. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been a blast. It's one year of fun. The finger guns was also still a pretty accurate representation. That's how I felt at the end of uh, at the end of uh, CGA season one. It was just it's just finger guns. It's like, hey, we're trapped in here, possibly forever. <laughs> Trap. You're welcome. Trap. <laughs> that... Oh god, I'm trying to remember something other than Aeon Flux, where the main character like dies at the end of everything, but I can't remember anything else that does. No, I think it's basically a Fox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is this gonna? Oh, there was that movie with with Denzel Washington, The Book of Eli. <laughs> uh, 
I'm sorry I referenced the book of Eli on our podcast. My friend brought it up to me last night, and I hadn't thought about it in literally a decade. And I was just like, damn, that happened. That was definitely something that was real. You didn't have to inflict that on the rest of us. We all hadn't thought about it, and now... Yeah, and now I cannot think, well, that is a very small Bible on Braille. (laughs) (laughs) Just the highlights. Yeah. It's just the hits. (laughs) You know, the hits from the Bible... Uh, no, this is what I call monotheism. <laughs> Brad's laugh for that was. Uh, I wasn't ready. That's why I'm on Touch to Talk perpetually because that's just my laugh. I have warned you all before that my laugh is very silly and. Uh, now I now you know the secret. Yeah, I get to play one of those guys on Saturday, which is doing a stream with some other company for Basin, and one of the characters. Because this will probably come out after that. I don't know. One of the characters is going to be this because it's a bunch of queers doing this. Uh, the red herring is going to be this very religious guy, as you know. Where's the guy like, oh, he's the bad guy. No, he's just an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) He's just a grumpy jerk man. He has no power or desire for power. Oh, God. Now I'm thinking about uh, our masks game. And oh, my God. Speaking of assholes with no power. <laughs> okay, I want to say, actually, the masks game was, was I still and I delight so much in what we did in masks. That was that was a blast. I don't know. Have we released that in some? Form? Well, it's to the patron. No, I no, It's to the patrons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah it's a- you should you should you should join us on Patreon so you can hear our excellent masks game that we did. <laughs> yes. It was a blast. It was so good. Brad ran the game. Uh, and we... They were superheroes. Yeah, basically, it's like... Yeah, we were superheroes, and, and alluding to Ludo's point, it was pretty much just us just, like, shit-talking a bunch of people with superpowers for the entire session. It was beautiful. Almost the whole time. It was great. It was just talking shit to, to villains, air quotes, faces. <laughs> oh, that's Well, it sounds a lot better than what Netflix just announced. What? Oh yeah, I know what you mean. Oh my yeah. god, that's <laughs> like so that's like that video from the CIA. Uh, the, oh, don't you know that video early this month from the CIA? But like made an animated series from that. I uh, I don't know what they announced. Someone impart this I don't first either. knowledge that's upon like, me. I'm afraid. Oh, oh god! I don't even remember what it's called, but it's basically a bunch of gay. I think it's queer force or something like that. Q force or something like that, and it's like okay, I literally watched drag queen superhero cartoon, and that was better than what I just saw. Oh god! I <laughs> googled this. <laughs> yeah, new Netflix. Show the only person involved in its creation who has a noteworthy blue link on Wikipedia is the guy from Will and Grace. Ouch. Um, 
he is not he is the showrunner, but none of the executive producers or directors have blue names. Oh no. I'm so afraid. My trailer makes I'm still not. I might get drunk and watch it, but it's like usually if I have to get drunk I and experience a piece of media, it's like, okay, this is it's gotta be that bad. Yeah. I mean Is it Yeah. That was me and Neo Tokyo. I watched the Snyder Cut Stone Sober. Which why would you do that? Oh the Snyder Cut, of course, yeah. Um, it was my anime training arc. It was me getting the spirit ball from Genkai and locking myself in the cave. I nearly died. Um, and it changed me forever. Anyways, we got sidetracked. Let's get back on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So one year. So I always wanted to be involved in podcasting. Uh, the thing is, uh, as a non-native speaker and because of my disabilities, making it harder, I was always kind. It's not going to have the quality output that people expect. It's not going to sound as podcasting sounds. Uh, and kind of that was like, wait, that's exactly it. Because there are not many people that sound like me that are represented in podcasting. That actually makes it more important. And when you join that in terms of uh, uh, queer representation, of uh, disability representation, uh, especially, you know, forms of transness and uh, queerness that are not of open uh, represented because, you know, they are not as friendly to what is marketable uh like yeah this is extremely important to do that and uh, uh, i started slowly i started with uh, with uh, our uh, friends at the gates of uh, orchid and iris uh, i started there playing uh and i kind of got used into podcasting and uh, maneuvering around my disabilities there as a player and there was this proposal and uh, it's like well you're gonna be already out of your comfort zone so this l5r you can gm l5r on your sleep so this will make this extremely easy for you and and uh, then uh, we got this amazing team and i saw that all of us we wanted exactly to have the same things we have the same goals uh we wanted to give uh role playing the treatment deserved we wanted to make this uh a queer trans disabled podcast friendly to those that uh, we would you know we would do these things that many times uh, we have been told that we cannot do it or that's not how you do a podcast or whatnot. And uh, we would be having the support to do that. And uh, that really made me throw into that. And uh, we it was very challenging because we did this during the pandemic. We ended up not had any of the support that uh, we were told we would have. They took brand from us. They took our producing from us. We kind of had to improvise and find a way. But everyone was amazing. The, I mean, 
it it's a lot of hard work performing and again during the pandemic uh and everyone was on time and everyone make an effort and sacrifices and uh, that was already what everyone committed to but then everyone committed beyond what was asked from them and uh, that was amazing and uh, it was what made this show as good as it was and i cannot say that uh, i i i'd love it every moment of it i loved what we were able to create together i love that everyone brought their voice to it i i love being surprised by what people brought to the table uh and another thing that uh, uh i did not realize how much was lacking is uh because of my uh neurodiversity uh my process to work through stuff is you know as people uh, uh find annoying and uh, the disability itself is not uh, named by how, what is like to live with it but it's named by how it annoys people and this is actually i had a team that was accommodating that uh, let me work through stuff and uh, the way in which i actually remember things and things become important which is other people are interested uh the basically all of you just uh, by picking the stuff you sorted what was important and helped me go through it and uh, then the also the audience with their feedback and what they remembered and what they found memorable also helped me sort out what would be important things and uh, we managed to keep the, the thing going on for for a way, one whole year and uh, again it has been hard to everyone uh and uh, we managed to adapt uh, uh this is why i'm looking very positively to the future because uh we kind of have settled on a way to do this safely to accommodate people's needs and uh and to lower the expectations of certain stuff and uh, to lower the the commitments of uh, other stuff and do it uh Evan and Charlie they will not be joining us uh on the future uh for work and the health reasons and they went way beyond the call of duty again the effort that they gave to this i mean they have been they have been really dedicated to the pod and they have been great friends and uh yeah i miss them dearly but uh, uh they are doing the right thing because again we were expecting a different level of support. We don't have it. Uh, and even if we got it and we made this commitment, things change. And, uh, and yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, of course, now this demands more from us, even uh, from that. And uh, they are not in a position and uh, uh, we miss them dearly, but uh, uh, that's how it is. And, uh, but, uh, they worked with us to make this amazing first season and uh, it was one hell of a ride and uh, I love every single moment and uh, I think it's a complete story and uh, I look forward to see what we do from it. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to just, I, I definitely want to, for, for those who, who this may be news, we want to be extremely clear, like Charlie and Evan, can no longer join us of their own volition. There is absolutely no animosity. We love them to death. Like we, they are 
still dear, dear friends. We are going to miss them a lot, but like, yeah, it also cannot be overstated the amount of just effort and time that they both sunk into propagating our show and like the additional work that they put into, you know, the backstage sort of stuff. I am personally uh, just extremely, extremely grateful to have gotten the chance to work with them and to honestly have grown uh, very close with both of them. They're both wonderful people. They, yeah, you know, we still talk to them very frequently. They are, uh, they're an absolute delight. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, basically everything that Ludo said, like I can echo pretty, uh, pretty just uh, full throatedly. Like I, 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 kind of went into this not knowing what to expect and knowing that we were going to be playing L5R. I knew that this was going to be a more serious story. Like the content of it was going to be more serious. It was going to be, you know, it was going to be a more dramatically focused. I don't know if I would say is the right descriptor necessarily, but it, you know, something adjacent to that. I just can't think of the right thing to say, but like, I knew that it was going to be like, we were going to like sit down and explore things. And we sat down at a session zero um, that, uh, Ludo organized and like really sat down and like I, having never been a part of something like this before, it was really interesting going into what was effectively a production meeting being like, okay, what do we specifically want to focus on? What do we want to discuss as kind of the core of this first season? And that for me was really cool because I actually got to see that sort of blossom and become, you know, this very wide kind of, I would say fairly nuanced exploration of, you know, some of the themes that Ludo laid out as far as uh, like, as far as representation, but also just the, uh, like, you know, just like things that express the way that we, yeah, sorry for, for those who are, are not watching us record this. I I'm sorry for you. This is my, my, my sweet son has just decided to make his presence known. Uh, it's, it's my cat. It's not a real child. I would never, um, but no, yeah. Seeing just like, you know, seeing a reflection of just sort of the way we feel about, you know, the way uh, I mean, just like like the way power is used in different areas of society and like what that means to different people and how those things are seen and portrayed. Um, and just a lot of that sort of stuff was really interesting to me uh, because I come from a background of running games that I try to make very story heavy and really interesting. And then my players are, uh, of course, um, just insane goblin people. Um, as evidenced by one of my PCs whose whole thing was that he was a lizard man who likes to eat people. That's the whole concept. And I tried real hard to be like, yeah, can I give you like some story hooks? And he was like, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. And it just became, no, I just like eating people. So it was a nice, uh, kind of, it was a breath of fresh air from, uh, what I am used to. And, and I would not trade a moment of it. You're muted. Brad, you're muted. <laughs> My dogs were barking. I'm sorry. And then I forgot. Um, but from a purely. Pl- I, oh, oh, I was just going to say, this is my dog. My dogs are barking is a great sort of podcast uh, podcast, like euphemism for like, I have to go to the bathroom. That's fair. But uh, from a purely player in game perspective, because I absolutely echo everything Sam and Ludo had to say from the production value. They both hit the nail right on the head. Like, it was such a wonderful experience, something that I went into a little nervous, but like within the first, I mean, we didn't disagree on anything until the third hour of our session zero, which is a wild sentence to say for four people who had never most which had never met before. But uh, I think one of those powerful moments in role playing games and when you really fall into your characters, when there's two choices in front of you and you look at them and you're like, well, that's the better one. But that's the one my character is obligated to make. And oh, 
and it happens so many times. All I don't the know. Time. How, I genuinely don't remember at this point how much of of that specific audio got left into episode cuts. But boy, howdy, there was just a lot of times. There were so many times where I was just like, my beautiful son Hajime is going to make the choice that Hajime would make, which I, Sam a person who doesn't live in this world would never ever do in a million years because absolutely not. But how, that's not, that's not, that's not Hajime's, that's not Hajime's jam, man. Every, most of Minoru's decisions, there was the choice between, oh yeah, that's the efficient one. That's the smart one. But then there's that one. And that's the one I have to make. <laughs> that Top Gear meme. This is great, but I like this one. Exactly. <laughs> And that, and having the, so many of those moments, I mean, the whole experience was great. How all the characters meshed was perfect, but there were so many of those moments up to it, including for the, cause we're having spoilers, the moment to go into the cave where if you could see our discord chats, I was like, this is the dumbest thing we've ever done. And yet <laughs> we got to do it. I think we were literally unilateral on just like, we really shouldn't go into this cave. <laughs> but this is my hole it was made for me it was a fact <laughs> I also I, love, I do want to just say looking back on it now that whole last little bit where like Hajime is just like I'm going to buy this business and then we're going to tear the floor up and go into a cave that's underneath it was just maybe <laughs> like when you condense it down into just that's the series of dominoes that fell I look back on that and I'm like that was a choice that certainly was some choices that I that I made. That was a weird choice. <laughs> yeah, you cannot imagine the things, the expressions going to my face as that was happening. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I temporarily just broke Ludo that day. Ludo was not expecting me to be like, I don't know, I'll buy it. I'm samurai. I got money. I can buy a business. But yeah, there's this. Uh, if you know Zombie Orpheus Entertainment, they do the gamers journey quest. Really great RPG stuff that that you should all watch. And their last movie, uh, The Gamer's Hand of Darkness, heavily based off of L5R Community. Uh, they did one just like that, where one of the characters was like super writ. It was a side story. And it's like the one of the characters like my superpower. It's a, it was a Shadowrun game. My abilities are money. That's basically all he did. Spend the money. Got it done. <laughs> So much more efficient that way. So he's just he's just Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, basically. Without the suit. He didn't even have the suit. He just had the money. I mean, can't argue if it's stupid it works. I can't even remember what it's called. That was that was uh, that was I was like, I'm wondering how they were gonna get in there without tearing up that machine. And it's just like, oh we'll just buy the place. I also I also like that not only did we do the buy the place thing, we were just like, no, you're still going to get this is still your business. It's just that I'm I just own it. <laughs> and then we spent a considerable chunk of time meticulously taking apart this machine and documenting where everything went so that we could put it back together later, which was I don't remember who made that role to make sure that they that we were remembering how everything went. I think it might have been Ico. But it went like I remember it went extremely well. And I was just like, I was as surprised as anyone. I was like, nah, we're 
just going to ruin this man's machine. And then it's yeah. just like, actually, no, we're going to need a technician to come out here and put it back together. But we will have a set of incredibly detailed instructions on how every part of this machine works. And I was just like, oh, really? This doesn't seem like us. This is, this is a level of competency that we have not so far sort of pursued even a little bit. <laughs> this can't this can't be that. <laughs> I'm sure this will not come and bite us in the ass later. I uh, honestly like it's just that that was it. That was the character growth. That was that's that's where that's the one point where you're just like, ah, it finally happened. And then they get locked in a cave. Yeah. Although there was that one really cool scene where they were where Ludo let me uh, teach uh, the the crane, uh, the crane clan champion's sister how to throw a cane <laughs> where I forcibly made myself the reason a thing happens in actual established L5R lore. <laughs> oh, I've done that. It, yeah hasn't been posted yet but i may have started the lion crane war in one of my games <laughs> well to be fair it is extremely easy to start when oh yeah is. no it's 100 easy yeah no you basically just throw on a crane you just throw on a crane robe and poke a lion is like in the butt just like sneak up behind him just poke him in the butt and just be like fuck you and then just it's off to the races <laughs> yeah, i sneeze yeah. too loud between the delegations and now we're in the war again yeah <laughs> what the fuck do you mean by that <laughs> Yeah, uh, that actually touches the first of four questions, which is, what were your top five moments, according to each player? Okay, I can bang, I can bang these out, I think, because, uh, yeah, uh, the whole teaching Doji, Doji Shizue thing, uh, how to throw is a, a sword for me, but a, a cane for her, apparently. I don't, it's been a long time since I uh, consumed that particular piece of media. Uh, that was a good one. Uh, Hajime's bento theory was a great one, which really I think Ludo is almost entirely responsible for me, the player, grasping that. <laughs> where I was just, all of a sudden I was just like, "Oh, good! This finally something I can work with." Uh, I liked that a lot. Um, weirdly enough, the moment where my character got fully attacked by some otherworldly spirit that he did not understand. Uh, I really liked that moment because it was it. I think everything that came after that, as far as like aftershocks of that and like how it changed him as a person, I think was interesting. And it was like, it was something that I've never had to do in a role playing game, but it was like, it was a challenge I really enjoyed of like having this character that was kind of shell shocked and like, just like didn't really know, you know, had to start reevaluating the way they saw themselves. That was really, really cool. Um, the terrible, awful decision that Hajime made to leave an unattended goblin child, uh, with someone who looking back on, we effectively had little to no allegiance with, uh, that was great. And I'm going to say, honestly, the conversation where we met Kana was, probably one of my favorite moments just because I thought all of the dialogue, all of the interplay between those characters was a lot of fun and knowing now what was going to be the ultimate outcome of that is just the most fun thing to me. Just knowing how that was actually going to play out uh, is just like, that's that delights me even now. It's just, yeah, just, just, it's just handing the keys of like the keys of hell to the devil. (laughs) All right. I had to chat. I had to consult my old notes. Um, my top five moments in rapid order. 
Number one, I loved, because it was my first chance using the dueling mechanics, the duel between Hajime and Minoru, the practice duel. Uh, I all, I mean, three of my five involve Hajime, which is, you know, ironic. Uh, number two being when Hajime came across Minoru solving a problem in the form of uh, Nagakita and just, oh, well, Minoru's not going to be happy about having to do this in front of Hajime. Uh, and, and this is as much on all of us, the reaction of us tearing apart the delicious fish dish sent as a gift <laughs> um, to make sure it wasn't poisoned. <laughs> to this day, still sad. I'm still oh, sad about favorite. this mackerel that was completely, it was mackerel of the mind, and I am still sad about it. Every interaction with Minoru's ghostly sibling was great, but I think the one where he actually had his breakdown in the marsh. I'm really torn between that and the Nagakita moment because they were both so good, but I think I'm going to go with the Nagakita moment because of him strangling himself. And for number five, um, where Minoru showed the level of petty Scorpion should aspire to by waiting until the last minute to cut Aiko out of greeting his clan champion's sister. Oh god, that was Oh god, it was so dirty. Oh, I it was so dirty. I when loved it, it. You got you see, we weren't on camera, so you guys could see, but when that occurred to me, I literally started like pounding on my desk like that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I have so never mean. felt so petty and so vindicated with my pettiness in my entire life. I'd be like, oh, I know exactly what I can do. Sweet. <laughs> So good. I also, I will say, uh, just Brad, that uh, you meant the practice duel between Hajime and Minoru. I did not think about that, but that actually was, that is also kind of a favorite moment of mine just because we so well, like this, I think that was pretty much the first thing that happened after that was like, I think our second session or session. session? I think like, yeah, third session, like right at the beginning. And it was just such a good, ultimately scene of just like, because we weren't really doing anything. We were just like having a scene for the sake of just like kind of hanging out together. And I loved so much how much character we established about each of them. Like in that little, just in that little bit, you just got such a great sense of each of those characters and their dynamic with one another. Uh, I think honestly was pretty like kind of set the tone for the entire rest of the season. Um, and I loved that just so, so much. Yeah, my top five, uh, it's hard to choose. I really like the scene with Shinju Yushu because it was really fun to portray a non-verbal character in podcasting, uh, especially a non-verbal char- uh, character, which is interacting from a position of equal or even actual, you know, of power. And Evan was just f- fantastic there. I really like the whole uh, the whole infiltration of the monastery and the willing dealing with Nagokita. Uh, and I also like it a lot how the, the how the party kindness sped run Mamikaki and just dealing with the crab uh, and uh, how. Uh, 
how the party did the investigation of the pickle witch. Uh, I really liked. Uh, well, okay, let's say for much as we like to joke that uh, uh, the best outcomes are when the characters fail. Uh, I really like when the party gets to shine and be competent. So I guess there's no surprise. Those are like three of my favorite moments. And ultimately, my favorite moment has to be uh, the whole interaction with uh, the with the uh, with the Iramori family, and and that also gets the bonus of how much Swamp Crane became a meme. So that has its extra longevity. Uh, but uh, honestly, because I really like those characters, I really liked playing them, and I really liked how the party interacted with them. I loved how they interacted with Ladyfoot, with Uzagi uh, now, with uh, how little shitty Lake would be. Uh, and uh, yeah, and of course, uh, Lana, which is, you know, the best character that is not in this show. <laughs> I really, I, I really, yeah, just, uh, I, I, uh, Luda, the moment you mentioned where we were talking about the infiltration of the monastery and everything, as far as how we were dealing with Nagakita, I do recall this specifically. Um, and this is this, I'm going to put a sort of a, a gentle content warning on those, uh, who may feel uncomfortable with, uh, um, the concept of becoming very stressed. I'm not sure exactly how to, how to phrase this, but I do recall specifically messaging everyone else on the podcast as soon as we were done recording. Uh, because if, uh, the, for those who can see me, I often sit like this with my elbows resting on the desk. And I remember specifically saying that I had gotten so stressed that I hadn't realized that I had like been leaning so hard on my elbows that I had actually like worn like the skin on one of them. I was just like, I was so stressed. I didn't even realize that I was like just giving myself a mild abrasion <laughs> because of how intensely I was just focused on what we were doing. <laughs> I was just like, I need a minute. I need a day. I need some time to just breathe and know that that was all podcast and that out here, it's all good, baby. It wasn't, it was a pandemic, but you know. So the next question is, if you had to pick a favorite NPC, which one would it be? Uh, Hiram Apeshai. Oh no, I won't answer any questions. He was my favorite. He is the <laughs> ultimate example to me of why of the intersection between a character who's good at a thing and why no one should ever be told they are good at a thing because then they want to do it. And <laughs> God, I, he was such a little shit. I love him to death. He was a little shit. Um, oh my God. Favorite NPC. There were so many really good ones. I picked that one because it was the one that I knew. I was like, okay, I could argue about how great all of them were, but this is the one that I know I liked. I had the most fun with. He had, yeah, no, it was just pish. I was great for, for all of that. Um, come back to me. I got to think about it. <laughs> well, uh, my favorite uh, has to be Unagi because uh, he did not, I did not get to lose him much. But uh, his, like, one scene was pretty gay, great. I think it was also one of the strongest Binaru moments. But also because Unagi would have had a personal connection to one of the player characters, and I was looking forward to explore that. 
uh and uh, yeah and the whole uh, position in which he was uh i think he was a very fun character and it was one of my favorite ones to play yeah even again he basically had one scene i think i definitely hmm kana is definitely a strong contender for me just because again like i know i kind of keep going back to her but i just thought it, it kind of like I think it kind of speaks to what you were talking about earlier, Ludo, where you said some of your favorite moments were watching the party be very competent at a thing. Seeing someone introduced who was so very clearly like had a specific thing that was their their job. It was what they were good at. It was like and they were just extremely competent about about like this sort of thing. And just like, hey, I have a very distinct like set of skills. This is what I do. This is what I'm good at. And uh, if you need me, I'm right here. And uh, I loved that introduction of her. Um, but it is a tough choice. Um, I also liked, I forget his name in this moment, the Phoenix with the beautiful mustache that everyone wanted to kiss. Um, came up in the very Kizuki. second. Kizuki. Yes. Yeah, that went yeah. to the job we too. Yeah, he just, just, I loved him. Uh, just because I love that we the very first FPC that was introduced into the second session when we were just like, yes, we're going to do more podcasts is just immediately everyone was just like, I would like to kiss him. Um, Everybody, excuse me. Whole my notes, my notes clearly state that it does not matter that he is attached to a glorious mustache. <laughs> oh, that's true. I forgot. This Minoru didn't want to kiss him. No, <laughs> I agree. Sanchez, that's a great point. <laughs> so next question what inspired the creation of your character was anything specific that sparked the concept and tied to that was there anything that you regret not playing during the first season um, so I wish that I had built uh, a gnome rogue um, <laughs> whose name was whose name was Douglas uh, I think that would have been a really fun angle to explore <laughs> um I so like I I think Brad will probably remember this and I Ludo I don't know how much of I I forget how much of this conversation that uh you participated in because I know that we did a lot of this stuff uh sort of late night time where where Brad and I are um and I know that in those like later hours that's actually when you are uh sleeping um but I know that when I was first trying to kind of conceptualize a character I struggled pretty hard to figure out what I wanted to do um and um like kind of like really sort of like not a joke i did pick a martially focused character because l5r is a little bit daunting to me to fully understand so i was like i want to focus on somebody whose main thing is just combat like that like they are they are martially focused and that way i can kind of you know um lean into that a little bit and um a lot of the kind of detail work that ended up being a part of uh a part of that character um i think the main thing was um yeah obviously we've we've made some jokes around the pandemic but i was in school throughout the entirety of last year and i was starting to kind of better understand my own my own brain and understand that adhd was something that um really that i had you know been struggling with for years um and um that became kind of a something i ended up building into the character uh what with um the 
I, I gave him a high void ring, I think specifically because I wanted him to like, there was some um, disadvantage or some advantage that I took where he just like would kind of completely just, you know, like the world falls away and all that's left is just this duel. Um, like, which was meant to, you know, be representative of the idea of hyperfocus. Um, and that was kind of the main, that was the first thing that I think where I really sort of like colored that character with detail in a very intentional way. Um, as far as what I wish we had seen more of, um, Ludo and I, uh, were workshopping a very cool sort of like psychic spirit warrior thing for his like later stuff. I wish we had thought about something like that earlier or better thought to, uh, or like, or like sort of realized that earlier because of the whole, the void thing, the whole connection with like the spirit stuff that was never supposed to, that was never part of like the way I built that character. And then it just kind of happened so well in the very first uh, session that we recorded, it just kind of became a part of it. Um, and I wish that I had gotten the chance to dig into that a little more because of that whole kind of spiritual connection that he had. Um, that was something that I wish we could have gotten into a little more, um, or at least that I had recognized like, Hey, this has a lot of potential and leaned into a little earlier. Um, because I think that would have been cool to see, but yeah, sorry for the rambly answers. That's just the only kind I know how to do. You're fine. We're all, it's not like any of the others of us are known for rambling. (laughs) Um, I, I played Minoru, uh, uh, partially because I've always loved the Soshi Magistrate School. It's one of my favorite schools in 4E. I want it to be brought over to 5E because it's such a cool concept. And uh, if that school had been around, that's what Minoru would have been. Uh, but also because I had tossed around playing a crab or something else. And in all honesty, I think it was Evan was on the Discord like, hey, It'd be cool if we had a scorpion because then we'd have two crane, two scorpion, and we could easily link characters. Like, you know what? I like the scorpion clan. Um, Minoru being this anxious young man who is not at all ready for anything that he's being given honestly came from the fact that we voted to see who would be magistrate at the end of session of, of the pilot. Hold on, my dogs are barking. Give me a moment. Okay. Uh, it's slang. Brad, Brad, went, Brad went to poop. Listener, don't listen to him. <laughs> it is a very fast poop. <laughs> uh, but they don't know that from the magic of editing. Uh, and at that moment, I was like, well, Minoru was always supposed to be kind of this inside guy that would be used to infiltrate criminal groups. How does a guy who thinks that is his whole role react to like, now you're the guy? Uh, and so a lot of his characterization marched on from there of that. Honestly, I don't think I would. I mean, I could talk about L5R concepts. I'd love to play all day, but I don't think there's any I would have done different because Minoru is the perfect character for this group. So uh, you can only expect this one to come. He's Mary Kill with the other PCs. Finally, my time to shine. <laughs> Uh, it was, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it would be Kiss Minoru, it would be Mary, uh, Yuzume, and it would be, it would be Kill Aiko. Um, just, yeah, I don't feel I need to explain any of that. The, just the, the dynamics are perfect. Just, what do you, that's it. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel bad. I, it would be Kiss, 
Aiko marry Yuzume because they could have a very happy marriage. Uh, they just would have the true ideal marriage of they don't talk to each other. And kill Hajime? And that's the <laughs> saddest thing I can say? And try. <laughs> Bring your sword to my doorstep, coward. Let's see how it goes. All right. I, okay. I, I, are we it'll still just killing or? <laughs> well, it'll just be kissing. Final question. Final question. Speaking of kissing. <laughs> Who is it that Hajime regrets not smooshing the most? <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so this actually cuts a few ways. I could I could answer the uh one, um Miramoto Sanai probably because I feel like that chance existed and then Hajime was like, actually let me just throw this chance in the garbage. <laughs> uh so there was that. Um but also um a little bit uh doji shizue uh just for clout. Because Dang. that would be very funny and I did get just extremely I just Evan was just so adamant he's like don't you dare don't you dare screw this up for me the whole time and I just was like I really want to just like it's just hey what's up it's just I'm from one of the other families what are you doing I mean that was a recurring joke in the chat was uh I also just, made this who's gonna kiss she's away first Minoru bumping into his clan champion's wife sneaking across the winter palaces of the crane just the Spider-Man meme of pointing at each other. It was it was a pretty fun bit. <laughs> uh, but then, no. Um, uh, what was this character's name? The one in, um, was, I believe it was Mamekake with the beautiful makeup. Ah, uh, uh, the Magistrate, you mean? Mm-hmm. Hiruma Liyue. Yes, uh, Hiruma Liyue was probably the one that I would say was the most specifically because just so fucking charming, just just like genuinely just like, wow, damn, hey, just please let me take you to dinner anywhere was just, I think, sort of like Hajime's immediate feeling upon meeting that character. So those are my three answers to that one question. Yeah, and that's all the questions. Sam, I think you have to leave, right? I do have to leave. Um, So if you guys keep doing stuff, have a lovely time. Yeah, I think I'll just make the announcement for second season now, and we're going to call it tonight. Yeah. Ludo, what are we doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Tell us, Ludo, tell us. What will happen on second season? I want to buy what happens in the second season for a dollar. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. Pathfinder? Yes. We're going to play Pathfinder. (laughs) We're playing Vampire the Masquerade. Oh, yes. Definitely. It's going to be a lot of Masquerade. Cascading crises have pushed so many into the ravenous mouths of the great empires. There is no waterway, say the clattering masses of the scientificus and other technocrats. Interest yourself to the hymns of the free market and be content with whatever scraps of social democracy that are thrown your way by the American empire. Surrender yourself to the paternalistic old man that oversees the Soviets as the little red hegemon marches on. This, the people on the known say, is just common sense. But what remains for us, those that reject common sense, which remains for the third world. We stand together in anti-colonialism and anti-imperialism. Where people scream that there is no alternative, we offer new ways, new paths for democracy and justice. Crisis always hit us harder, first, 
and we are not as equipped to deal with as those that suckle our wealth. The very crises that torment us are then recognized by the empires to force us into their barbed embrace. We fight that through solidarity and cooperation, bracing the tides of energy crisis and environmental collapse. Together, we become our own champions. The cybernetic socialist international and the common heroes that rise to defend it. Yep, season two. We are going to be playing on an alternative 70s where third world superheroes defend the novel idea of cybernetic socialism against the threats of the US and the USSR alongside more common superhero shenanigans and other weird things that will happen in this kind of world. And we'll be playing using Sentinels of the Multiverse, and it's going to be very exciting. So the crucial point of Divergence, in case you are curious, is that, uh, you know, other than other minor points, is that uh, the land regime uh, was proactive in the efforts of uh, handling land occupation and uh, using the cyber scene system of organization of production, uh, not only to get around with the strikes from the fascists, but to organize peasant and worker militias and then stop the West packed uh, Pinochet coup. Uh, and because of that, cybernetic socialism was actually able to mature and it was able to prove itself much more viable and much more effective than anything else and able to outpoise even the most brutal capitalistic regimes. So this changed drastically the third world over the last uh, decade, and it empowered the, the nations of the non-alignment movement. So we end up in a world in which the two imperial powers, they don't have such a free arbit about uh, events, and uh, uh, the other uh, groups are actually able to have a voice uh, and to stand on their own. So, yeah, uh, this is going to be playing after a decade of crisis. But for the point of view of the cybernetic uh, socialists, it's also plenty of opportunities to push for decentralized democratic steering of society. And yeah, uh, this is going to be a game about the heroes that this society creates and the novel ways which empires start to reaffirm their power. And yeah, I'm really, really excited by this for this world. And I think we have done pretty cool stuff about that. Already there. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I mean, we're we leave you as a listener right now, you don't have the clearance to hear about the secret moon war. But uh there's a secret moon tell war. You about the secret moon war. <laughs> I don't know nothing about that secret moon war. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Also, listeners, you can look forward to me uh, just coming into my truest self and doing a Southern accent for almost the entire season. Going to really lean into it. Just like just lean into them roots. And if you liked and you liked Sam portraying the himbo last season, get ready for me portraying um, amnesiac himbo this season. (laughs) Oh, it's not superheroes. It's not amnesia. It's going to be a good time. Okay, I, I have to run. I'm very excited okay. for season two. It's going to be awesome. Thanks, everyone. Thank you all very much. It was much. a great Thank party. Thanks, yeah, Brent, for visiting us. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank okay. you so much. Okay.
I push it too much. The bed calls me. Uh, Enjoy the okay. Bye, everyone. Bye, listeners. My my beautiful agonies. Bye, bye. Bye. The Emerald Lands, their wonders and horrors were played by Ludo. They can be found at Dilethiel on Twitter and Ichio, as well as at Heroes of the Republic. Bayushi Minoru was played by Brad. He can be found on Discord at BZAJ1648 and at Twitter at BZAJDABarbarian. Sakai no Doji Eiko was played by Evan. He can be found on Facebook as Evan Strait, Discord as PushyMushy1871, and on fellow L5R actual play, Secondhand Strife. Soshi Yuzume was played by Charlie. She can be found on Discord as Rieselian and on Twitter at BowserJ, where you can find links to her L5R blog. Asahina Hajime was played by Sam. He can be found on Discord and Reddit as Live From My Basement and on Instagram at SJSedlacek. This is a Court Games podcast. You can find out more about them at Court Games Pod on Twitter or at their site, courtgamespod.com. Legend of the Five Rings is the intellectual property of Fantasy Flight Games. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. www.d20radio.com